Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Driving Mall Show, episode twenty. Wow, yes, that's when we've changed from being um, hash rugby chats to driving mall. We're 20 episodes in. Wow, that's uh, like five months of doing it this way. Uh, boy, this this year kind of seems zooms past and uh, sticks around forever in both at the same time. Hi, I'm Paul, um, and uh, I'll be one of your hosts this evening because um, I like to think we've got a joint host this one, even though we perhaps don't. Perhaps I just bully. Uh, and take control. But uh, yes, joining me, Mr. Stephen Harris, my co-host. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Thank you, Paul. Always a privilege and a pleasure to be on the show. Absolutely. Uh, privilege and pleasure is all ours for having you, sir. It's not so it's the right way around. It should be. Um, so the topics we're going to kick into tonight, um, All Blacks uh, kickers. Obviously, we had Jordy kicking on the weekend, but uh, Richie Mwanga and uh, Dee McKenzie were also um, on the pitch. Um, we've had some chat about the treatment of players um, by Julian. So they're obviously talking about Rico and his uh, non-try. And we'll talk about that. Crowd numbers. Seriously, folks, empty seats at a Bledisloe Cup game uh, and also disappointing numbers at the Minor 10 Cup. So we'll talk about what needs to be done there. We'll have a look forward to Bledisloe Cup 2 um, and also perhaps Ranfurly Shield defence number Five this year, I think it is, um, down in um, Hawke's Bay. Uh, and also, the big news that is rumoured is that Razi Erasmus is going to say South Africa are not coming to Australia for the Rugby Championship. He is going to be citing player welfare, apparently. What does that all mean, folks, to the Rugby Championship? And can South Africa really turn down $25 million? That's the other that's the other side of it. Um, so all of that this evening. Also, if you have anything that you would like us to talk about and you're watching live on Facebook, on our Facebook page, or YouTube on our YouTube channel, or even on Twitter uh, at Driving Mall on Twitter, um, then you can ask us questions live in the show as well. Uh, and we'll have a look at those. For those of you that are listening to the recording on our podcast, we love you podcast listeners too. Don't forget, hit that subscribe so we come into your feed every single week and actually every single day with the morning sports briefing um, as well. So that's on I, um, you know, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, all of those wonderful um, 
thingamajigs you can have on your phone. App, apps, that's what they're called nowadays. It's what all the young people do. Yo. Um, evening. <laughs> good evening, Nocturnal Rights, who is with us uh, live on YouTube. Um, and uh, good evening to everyone else who is joining us. So there we go, Stephen. Um, a nice little monologue from me for the first two and a bit or three minutes of the show. I better take a drink of my beer. Um, and have you got a beer or are you, uh, are you on the old waters this evening? No, no, no. I'm on a um, Dilma tea at the moment. Uh, just, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's evening. Don't want to get into coffee or, or in your case, maybe, maybe beers a little bit too early in the week, Paul. What? It's Monday. It's already time to, uh, to to get in there. How can that be considered too early? It's, it's got me thinking. I wonder what I wonder what nocturnal rights is drinking at the moment. Is he drinking maybe? Is he a healthy dude or drinking water? Actually, nocturnal rights could be a female as well. So I do apologise. So I'm not Absolutely. too sure. We don't know. Um, so um, yes, uh, Monday night drinking. Um, some people might suggest that's a bad idea, and you're probably right to be honest. Um, but so, yes, if there's a beer sponsor out there that would like to sponsor us, always up for that as well. Um, so um, uh, talking um, about that. So I'm, I'm yes, kicking us off then, literally, Geordie Barrett kicking sticks on San, on Sunday, not Saturday, um, with, uh, with your Richard Mwanga, obviously recognised goal kicker for um, the Crusaders. Dame McKenzie recognised goal kicker for the Chiefs. Geordie Barrett recognised long-distance goal kicker, but not necessarily regular goal kicker for the Hurricanes. What are your thoughts? Was he the right choice? Yeah, it was, it was a bit odd, Paul. Probably a pre-planned thing for, for Geordie Barrett to to do the kicking, I, I suppose. Um, you, you know, with with, with, with McKenzie at, at the back there, we all know that he can kick. He's an accurate goal kicker. I'd, I'd like to see their percentages to see uh, to see who who is the better kicker out of the lot. I suppose it's all... A, uh, a much of a muchness, if you know what I mean. One thing I will defend the kickers with: it was probably a difficult day to kick down in Wellington with that breeze. Um, unless you're a Reece Hodgson, you can knock them over from sixty, <laughs> about sixty odd meters, which was a fantastic kick. And probably at the end of the day, the uh, the wind probably was the difference. You just kind of wonder if there was no wind around whether he kicks that goal. But just getting back to your question with the New Zealand goal because I think they had the right guy, but just. Sometimes the conditions play their part. Yeah, they do. Um, just bringing up some stats from 2019 as far as um, kicking goes. Richard Mwanga, uh, 2019 Super Rugby, Richard Mwanga was at 85.96%. Um, quickly looking down to, um, obviously, uh, Dame McKenzie was injured, wasn't he? So he won't appear in these stats. But um, trying to find a Geordie Barrett one in here. Uh, Jordy, 60%, um, wow. but he only did four kicks because Bowden was the primary goal kicker for the Hurricanes um, uh, that uh, last year, wasn't he? Uh, Bowden, um, I just saw him and I scrolled past, but I can't find him now uh, in here. Paul Bates, oh, 75%, but only off six kicks again. Um, the uh, Obviously, not say uh, not, not, uh, so he got injured last year. So, um yeah, those are the stats I have here for those for, for the players. I'll see if I can find a 2020 version um, as well. I was about to say, Paul, based on those stats, maybe they did get the goal kick, uh, kicker wrong. Yes, it's just hard to it's just hard to know. Yeah, it is. I think a couple of things. Apparently, um, Ian Foster said they had a, a kicking competition, and the winner of the kicking competition got to kick. I'm not I'm not a great fan of that personally. 
Um, kicking in practice and kicking in a test match are two very different things. And um, the pressure, um, etc. Also, I, I th also I think I, I think my my coach should know um, who is the best kicker, and he should be he should be the person who would uh, make who should make that call. It's a call he should be making. Um, it's not something that it should be a one-off um, sort of kicking competition uh, that they should um, uh, that they should do. Uh, in in my opinion. Um, so um, uh, uh, now, some of the uh, reasons for it, he's kicking at the Cape Tin, which is his home ground, right? So you think he would know the wind better or the conditions better um, than other, um, uh, than other, what do you call it, from blank, than the other kickers. Um, so, um, so yeah, so perhaps uh, I can see from, from that point of view. From the other point of view, he is a long-range kicker. He is not a... He's not your um, uh, your, uh, your kind of your, your high percentage continuous kicker. Um, at which point, I would go for either David McKenzie or or Rich Moanga for that personally. I'd, I, another person also pointed out: look, in strong winds, you want someone who punches it through the wind, perhaps, rather than someone who is a uh, sort of more precision, um, flighty kicker, um, as it were, with less sort of power. Uh, again, I. Um, uh, I kind of see that argument, but I'd say, look, these guys are high percentage kickers because they kick in all conditions, <laughs> not because they don't kick when there's no wind. Um, yeah, Paul, I was about to say, um, James O'Connor, I can remember him missing maybe uh, a couple of kicks at goal. I can recall him missing a, a penalty, yep. a, a relatively easy penalty, but uh, both the conversions were pretty much from the touchline, if I recall. Um, because was it Dungunu? Dungunu scored. Yeah, out wide. Um, yeah, no, I think again. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're probably right there. Um, oh look, it wasn't an easy day for kicking. Let's be let's be blunt. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're not sort of pointing fingers and saying um, that uh, that um, uh, that Geordie, uh, sorry, that, that, that it's Geordie's fault by by any stretch. It just seemed like it's, just, I mean, it's just one of those. Um, Tactical decisions that, to me, just just was, was just an interesting one. To, interesting one there, and just have an opinion as to whether people thought this isn't. Yeah, I'm not trying to bag him and say he's a bad kicker. Um, he's a dancer better than I am, or uh, and I've ever been or ever will be. Let's be blunt. Um, it just yeah, it just seemed like it was just an interesting one there. Um, Aaron said, yeah, Jordy took all the kicks to Hurricanes this year. Um, uh, well, um, it's uh, so so yeah. I, I thought Gordon Bashan did some, but um, yeah, no, happy to be. Perhaps you're wrong on that one. Um, and yeah, Nocturnal Rights also goes talks about the local conditions as well. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's an interesting point because we know Geordie as a, as a long-distance kicker, a guy that you can call up when they're around about that halfway mark. He, he can he can knock over those big kicks. We, we've actually seen that. And if you turn it on its head a wee bit and look at the from an Australian point of view, they probably wouldn't start with Reese um, Hodge as their number one kicker. So they've, they've decided to... Um, you know, James O'Connor's been kicking kicking all year. He's been, well, he was the pivot for the Reds, was he? Um, yep. this, this year. So he's been their number one kicker. He kicked for the Reds. Obviously, they had uh, trust and faith in him. So they they had stuck with him to kick the, the shorter kicks at goal from the shorter distances and use Hodge for the longer kicks. So they've got a play. And I think in the case of the All Blacks, maybe just a case of two sport for options. But Maybe really and truthfully, I just think for you know for somebody like 
there's something playing out in my mind with Richie Moanya. You know, I believe he's a confidence player. And I think if he's kept in the game, whether it's with, with goal kicking, I, I think personally he should he should have he should have taken control of the goal kicking. He kicked relatively well in Super Rugby, if I recall. Um, yeah, it's 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 a weird one. I think it's one of those ones where he had I think from again, it's just going off memory rather than looking at stats from memory. I think, yeah, I think um, Richard Monger had like a shocker for the first two rounds and then and then came good um, from there. The um, on um, uh, on on that one. I mean, let's remember Reese Hodge started on the bench. He didn't actually start the game, uh, and so you couldn't have him kicking earlier on. Um, he did have that kick, obviously, when he came on. Um, and boy, was that a monster kick! That would have he could have kicked that one from like his own twenty-two. Um, <laughs> it would have gone over. Um, he just didn't quite get it straight enough. He missed by about that much, um, which is great podcasting. Um, basically, the width of a hand is about how far he missed. Uh, and that, that it was, yeah, it really was a matter of uh, of inches. Paul, I see Simon Hughes has just popped up there. Hi, everyone. I feel vindicated that Ian Foster is not the right man for the All Blacks job. Simon, I'd probably just hold the phone a little bit, but I'm saying that if they lose their next two games, I think you're in the ball. I think you've got some skin in the game there. Oh, miss, lose the next two games and lose the Bledisloe Cup for the first time since 1906. Wow. No, that's, that'd be uh, that'd be crazy. Could be one. It could be one of the shortest ever All Black uh, coaching coaching games gone gone by lunchtime in three weeks' time. <laughs> oh dear! And Leicester West Wicks. I'm saying 1906. I can't remember the last time the Wallabies actually won it. Um, the, um, but uh, it, it was a while ago. Um, the yeah and, and yeah. Look, um, a lot of people have. Uh, a lot of people have. Uh, well. It's difficult finding people who do have confidence in Ian Foster as a head coach. Um, let's be honest. Uh, so, the um, so I think um, that uh, yeah, we'll have to see see how how Foster goes. Nocturnal says right says I predicted a result like this a couple of weeks back. You didn't predict a draw. Oh, let's be honest, mate. There's no way no one predicted a draw for this game. Um, I, but, uh, I think quite a few of us predicted it would be closer than some of the some of the. Uh, some of the shock um, click pundits were um, were suggesting it might be. I think I think I think Nocturnal Rights is talking about Ian Foster's brother Simon Foster. Um, that, well, yes, is that as well? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with him there. Simon Foster is not the man for the job. No, no you're right. You, you are so you are so right there, Nocturnal Rights. <laughs> Simon Foster now just wouldn't wouldn't have him anywhere near the team in the man. <laughs> sorry, sorry, mate. <laughs> now, um, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, sort of self-gloating um, here on um, on the show because, hey, why not? No one else is going to blow my trumpet, so uh, I'll uh, I'll blow it myself. Well, all what I'll do actually is I will um, bring up someone who was uh, said a really nice thing about me on um, on Twitter. So, Paul Montague, um, clearly a man who uh, knows his um, apples from his oranges or um, whatever you want to say, because he said one of the few Kiwi pundits qualified enough to ha for an opinion on how the Wallabies might go today is Paul B driving more. This is because he's one of the few who's watched more than 80% of Australian super rugby competition this year. <laughs> <laughs> the fact he's got a shrewd rugby, rugby brain. You know, so thank you very much, Paul, for that one. Paul, I, but, um, Paul, I, I put up some, uh, I put up some, uh, 
uh, comments today and I've, I've actually forgot where I actually put them up and I probably should put them up on, I actually put them up on the new, the, the, I won't promote another forum, but uh, I might actually put the cop, the, the, that particular, what I actually said on New Zealand Sport Radio. And I spoke about both the New Zealand competition and the Australian competition. When we watch the New Zealand Super Rugby competition, we see this amazing entertainment, a lot of ball movement, uh, we see these wonderful tries constructed from everywhere and in, anywhere, and it's really entertaining. And then we got kind of critical about the Australian game, and I'll use the Brumbies as a benchmark. I think I even might have said during the season, gee, they're a hard watch, because they they will basically grind through their forwards. They, they do use their forwards very well, especially when it comes to the line-out drive and, um, and also mauling, but... The, I suppose, Paul, my, my question that I left answering, which is the closest style to test rugby? Is it the Australian style where they grind out grind out their wins or is it the New Zealand style? And you've got to say, whether you like the Australian style of, of, of super rugby, it, it's probably closer to test rugby, isn't it? Well, I think um, there's a couple of things in that one, isn't there? Is, uh, is that look, the... the we have uh, in New Zealand. We have five provinces that um, are strongly influenced by the All Blacks coaches and by the um, and by the and, and that philosophy of thinking, right? And have so the differences in game style between the New Zealand the Super Rugby teams and the philosophy of how they play is smaller than the difference between the Australian sides. So you've got a Brumbies Brum, who will never kick sticks and will always kick the corner and have a very effective um, line-out more. But the, you compare that then to, say, um, the Waratahs, um, who do, who's, who's, whose maul is nowhere near um, as effective and basically had some very light locks. Um, so play well, so have to play a slightly different style. The Reds, again, with um, Thorne there, um, forward-orientated, forward but, like but like to release those exciting backs um, when they can much more than perhaps the Brumbies will do. So I think there's, a, there's, there's more variety of styles between them, which is one of those things why, again, I thought Rennie had a, um, was going to have a harder job than Ian Foster trying to get his style into those players because he's not had the time to influence the Super Rugby teams to play his way. Whereas, let's be honest, um, the all-black um, philosophy that's been around through Ted, through Steve Hansen, and now into Ian Foster, it's an evolution, isn't it? Um, that has been that has been adopted by pretty much all of the Super Rugby franchises um, and most of the um, provinces when they can and they've got the players to do it. So I think that that kind of piece is um, yes, it is. It is it, uh, the, trying to say that the Australian Super Rugby sides is more clo is close to, to Test Rugby. Yes and no. Yes, it is with the Brumbies, but no, it's not so much. Say with Rebels. Um, all up. Paul, I was about to say, leading leading in, into this test match, I was on a, another web website. It's a face it's a Facebook site, and like I said, I won't mention it just um, because we don't want other people jumping onto it. But they, this particular website, had picked another All Black team, and on that they were basically saying, "Well, this team would put away the current Wallaby team that Dave Rennie had." Now I, I was pretty upset when I actually saw that because it just streaked of so much arrogance. Um, and even me, I, I kind of feel vindicated. I, I made some comments on there. I said, for crying out loud, 
last year you see we saw an All Black A team get put away by the Wallabies, and of course our A team got put away for by England in the Rugby World Cup semi-final. So what makes your second, second or third fifteen better than a current international side at the moment? And quite frankly, I, I was I was actually quite wrapped for the Australians, what they actually uh, actually bought yesterday. And uh, quite quite frankly, I think New Zealanders have the lessons that we're learning at the moment is we can't look at this Australian competition and yawn and make faces and think, oh, some of the rugby's a bit of a grind. Because at the, end of, at the end of the day, like you said, Paul, it's relative to their player base and the styles that each team is actually trying to play. And all Rennie has done, and we know he's a very good selector, he proved that back in 2012 when he pulled the Chiefs together, a whole lot of players that nobody knew, including one Brady, Brady Retellick. Well, I'll tell you what, he's got a bit to play with at the moment. I think... I think they're in a, a really good situation in in terms of he's introduced some young guys. They've got some more young guys waiting in the wing. I, I suppose from an outsider looking in, the only thing that might be concerning from my point of view, critiquing the, the Wallabies, is that we know James O'Connor is a very good player. He can be flaky at times, uh, Paul. That's, that's, that's pretty much the only thing, but I think it's pretty handy when you've got Matt Tamua, um, the boy that was on the bench as well. Um, Peliasa is his name? I can't, can't Lolly, think. Lo, 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 um, Lolasia. He looks a good, young, promising player, and I know they've got a couple of other young guys around which just uh, escaped me. I know the Reds had a young first five, and so did the Waratahs. So I think they're in a really good spot. Um Maybe maybe not so much this year or next year, but for the next two years, Paul. Yeah, I think we've um, I mean, a couple of points there. One, actually, I'm, I'm going to flip to uh, Simon Hughes's comment very briefly and come straight back to you, which is uh, where he's gone. I don't mind the Australian competition except the, the Brumbies and that Phil Kearns. <laughs> and I'll be honest, um, I don't mind the Brumbies. I do mind the Australian commentary. Boy, it's the worst in the world. Um, but anyway, coming back to to, to your your. Um, your points there around James O'Connor. Look, James, one of the one of the problems that James O'Connor's had, and same applies to Curtly Beale as well, is that they have been too too um too skilled in the fact that they can play. James O'Connor can and think probably has played 10, 12, um 14 and 15 at international level. He's never and and at some at a club level, again, he's played around all those positions as well. And he's uh, he's never really had um, until recently, a position and being told, right, that's your jersey and you're going to wear it for the next year and play every game. And with with the Reds, he's been given that 10 jersey and said, right, you're wearing 10. I'm not moving away from there. Just learn how to just get used to playing 10. So when we've said he's a bit flaky before, um, maybe part of that is the fact that he's been shifted around all the time and not settled in a, in a set position. Um, but no, you, you're, you're very right that, that he has been like that in the past. I guess the question will be, was that because of that, or is he less flaky now that he's used to playing the same position all the time? Yeah, um, yeah just just consistency. And you did right. He got yeah. he got moved around quite a bit. It'll be interesting to see the the reaction of, of of guys who would be in this Wallaby team. And you spoke about Kirtley Beal before, but also the likes of Samu Karevi. We know what a good player Karevi is, and he's pretty young in the scheme of things. So it's it's incredible that they've actually got these guys. Who are not in Australia, but if these guys go away for a couple of years and come back pre World Cup, boy, that just adds a 
an extra bit of depth. I, to be honest, I'm very excited about them, Paul, and I, I just think it's great. I don't think a one-sided test match, as everybody was predicting, would have done anybody any good, as far as I'm concerned. And most of the stuff I've been reading on the social network is is quite positive, and the ones that are more or less critiquing the All Blacks and forgetting about um, forgetting about the Australians need to have a long look at themselves. Probably it's a good segue into that. Uh, in that, into that tweet that uh, Julian Savia pulled out, Paul. Well, there is that one. I was going to also talk about something we've we've talked about a lot, actually, before we go there, um, around uh, this this comment that the young players have not played Kiwi sides at Super Rugby and therefore not been damaged. Mm. Also, look, the under-20s um, for New Zealand, or the Baby Blacks, we want to call them, have not been dominant at the under-20s level for a number of seasons now. The high school side has lost... Um, a couple of for a couple of years now against the Wallabies as well. It's not people the the players from around the world, not just the Wallabies, and now are not growing up getting beaten by people in black jerseys. And something that we've been said probably about six twelve months ago is that um, that removes part of the aura around that jersey. Now the All Blacks, uh, sorry, New Zealand rugby has has uh, changed its philosophy around the use of those teams um, to be about building players forward not about um, winning at that level. And you've got to say, well, actually, has that weakened the aura around that black jersey um, by doing that uh, in that situation where players are used to playing a black jersey and beating it? And I think that might also be part of that as well. Yeah, if you, if you know you've played a lot of these guys at age group, group level and these guys who go from age group level to all black level, well, hang on, I've played against these guys before. I can beat them. So, mm. yeah, definitely a lot of that, Paul. Good point. Yep. Um, uh, Aaron, we're going to come back to your point later because I think it's, it, 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 it's, um, it, it, it talks more, not just about All Blacks play, but also about something I want to talk about um, in, uh, in crowd numbers um, as well. But, so, yes, let's bring up that um, Julian Savia, um, uh, Savia tweet um, there. Well, while you're bringing that up, Simon Hughes just makes a good point that there's good news in Australia on the TV front door that Fox Sports and uh, also uh, Channel 9 are also competing. And it looks like in uh, their streaming company, Stan, which I've never, never heard of. So, yeah, yep. that's interesting. That's got to be that's got to be a good one. And, uh, of course, Batman with a uh, predictable comment. <coughs> <laughs> uh, All Black's no longer the force they used to be. Ian Forster, or Simon Forster, is out of his league. <laughs> no, Ian Forster, I should say, <laughs> is out of his league. They need to get Scott and Paul. Razor, obviously, are you referring oh, to there? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we might come back again. That's what we might come back to as well. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so Julian um, tweeting here and uh, has said, um, the thing that frustrates me most about rugby here in New Zealand is how the media fuels the idiotic and sick comments from supporters, uh, uh, in quote marks, um, with their clickbait. Um, they will praise you when you are doing well and um, briefing them, but uh, when a mistake is made, we don't hear the end of it. And people wonder why we um, harp on about mental health so much. Um, you want to be a supporter? Then you stick it out with the players and team through the mistakes, um, bad days and good days, simple. Well, yes. And uh, if uh, you can't guess, folks, this is in reference to um, Rico Iwani's uh, non-try just before halftime, where he puts it down with one hand 
um, or doesn't. Um, and uh, it rolls off the end of his fingertips uh, and bounces on the ground rather than being put down um, there. So, Stephen, I'll be honest, I've been um, working all day and uh, and I generally don't go on to um, the New Zealand Herald stuff or all these sort of pages anyway. Uh, so I've uh, not seen these clickbait articles, but it doesn't surprise me. I stay away from those places because I don't like clickbait articles. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two things here, Paul. <clears throat> First of all, this, this um, tweet that Julian's put up, I wonder if it's coming from a personal space. Mm-hmm. As well, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't kind of uh, surprise me given some of the criticism that he he copped in France, and he's probably copped a little bit of criticism. <clears throat> excuse me, since he's uh, he's he's come back, he hasn't exactly set the world on fire, and that's not a personal attack. I'm just well, it's it's, it's also he's he's um, let's be honest, uh, he used to uh, come back from um, uh, the off season, and he there'd be lots of comments that uh, oh he's looking fat, oh he's unfit. Oh, he's not the play. He's, he doesn't train well off season, uh, and you used to get that sort of that sort of criticism um, as well uh, from the uh, New Zealand media, uh, which he didn't. Um, uh, which which he didn't. Um, uh, which also upset him as well. So, and we've heard his, we've seen his wife tweeting about um, in, in defence of him um, on on, yeah. uh, on social media. So, yeah, no, absolutely, he does have a person. There, there is definitely a personal element here that uh, he's had a bad. Um, uh, what, what, what do you call it? A bad, um, a, a bad experience through the press, definitely. Yeah, nocturnal rights makes a <clears throat> makes an interesting point, and he's and he, and, he, and, he, and he's dead right. It's it's a little bit like some of the interviews that we do at the end of games. Sometimes you'll inter- you'll interview players straight after a win, and they gladly they will gladly talk to you, and then you'll go to interview players who've. Who have been, you know, they've just suffered a big loss, and you can just see it's, it, it, it's kind of un- uncomfortable. But you've got to take with with the good, the good with the bad, and that's what nocturnal rights is, is saying. I was going to say the other, the other point, with regards to Julian's comments, there are some times that some of these, um, <clears throat> some media overdo it. I know the, the New Zealand Herald that some something that they will do. They will put a clickbait article up, and if they're not getting enough, how can I say it? Um, just not getting enough wheels going, they will basically put it up again four or five hours later. They'll reload it, you know. So somebody else who may have missed it earlier in the day when it first came out, they'll basically reload it again, and it's the same article. And then they'll refresh it. Refresh is the word I'm looking for. They'll refresh it again another day later. So they will try and milk it for everything that they can get out of it. No, absolutely. And look, I think there are, there are, there are, there are two points here. There are the points that, um, that Julian's making, which is around, as you say, that clickbait thing. Um, and then some points we're getting here in the live chat about, look, they should, that, that players will get criticised. Absolutely. They will do. Um, and one of the things I was hoping we'd have Dwayne on here, because one of the things we were asking was, how does a player get to the top of the game, which, let's be honest, Rico is out. I mean, look, he's, he's um, considered one of the best wingers in the world, if not one of the, if, if, if um, at the top there. Um, uh, and have basic errors in his games like this that haven't been ironed out already. Um, so there are those. But um, during the game, people were saying, pull him off um, for that. Um, and then there were also tweets coming out going, oh, he should be dropped for the next game. Look, no, he so he learns his lesson. Look, he's learned his lesson already. 
he learned his lesson two seconds after it happened. He didn't need, he doesn't need to be dropped for the next game to learn his lesson. He doesn't need to be yanked off the pitch to learn his yeah. lesson. Uh, that to me is what the things that um, Julian's referring to here. And I think there, though, yeah, there, there was definitely an overreaction at the time. And uh, the media um, obviously played on that as well. You know, Paula, the, the other thing is uh, that's probably infuriated a few people as well is uh, Ian Foster's uh, comments in, in support of, uh, of, of Rico. Um, yeah, I think it's all right to, to, to support your man, but quite frankly, in my situation, yeah, we'll be having a bit of a word to him about that. But one thing I can guarantee, he'll probably never ever do that again. And yeah. to me, that, that, that probably should have been the line from Foster. But it, it kind of infuriates it, it, it infuriates people that they want the player to do the, the right thing. But as we've previously discussed, I think we discussed last night, this, this is something that's been waiting to happen if you look at the way that he actually does hold the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, now I want to go bring in our uh, our first guest of the evening, um, Mr. John O'Connor. How are you doing, sir? Hello, gents. I'm sorry hey. to join you later. Can Thanks you for your talk? invite. I only saw it just a little while ago. Um, I haven't uh, read anything about the game yet, and I missed the first 30 minutes. Did I miss all the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth? Well, uh, no, no, really. No, I think we've we've um, we, we, we did a sort of game review last night um, where we uh, um, so we've listened to about sort of um, more generic topics around the game. Um, mm -hmm. But I know one that you would one, one that we haven't talked about yet. But I know that uh, one that I think you'd probably like to jump in on. I uh, have a go at is uh, is the choice of number ten um, for the All Blacks, um, possibly uh, in in this one. And um, another player that has been taking some some criticism has been Richie Moanga. Um, and the fact that it's, uh, and um, again, another player, I mean, I mean, Aaron Smith came out straight after the game saying that he and Richie probably hadn't um, led the team around the pitch like they should have done. Um, and so he, 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 he'd, he clicked that um, before the whistle, did it, before the final whistle had even happened. But yeah, mm. a, a player, John, that you've uh, had uh, reservations about when, when behind a pack that's not, uh, not, it's not dominating. Yeah, Richie Moanga has performed over the last four seasons. The predominant uh, uh, rugby that he's played has be, been behind that dominant pack. And any uh, first five or fly half that's worth their salt will say to you that the game is easy if your pack is dominant. Um, you're getting the ball on the front foot. You are able to dictate to your pack that uh, when you want the ball and when you don't, um, so uh, a great example of this is Daniel Carter. You would see him instructing the forwards and passing the message forward and saying to them, I don't want that ball. That's rubbish ball. Sort that. You made that ball rubbish. You sort it out yourself. And only call for the ball when he wanted it, right? And if you are playing behind the Crusaders pack or you're playing behind the All Black pack, that is how you predominantly play your rugby, is on the front foot as the first five. Now, I want to be fair to the young man is that maybe he, because he does that so often, he's got very little experience playing um, when his forwards are at the least at least matched and he is experiencing pressure, right? And they are relying on him to relieve pressure. And they're relying on him to control the game when it's not just an easy ride. 
And we saw that in uh, some matches in Super Rugby, for instance, was it last year? I think when the Sharks pack got stuck into the Crusaders in Christchurch, he looked nothing like the player that he did in other games. And we saw it um, in the uh, in the loss against Australia last year, was it in Perth, where the All Black pack was struggling. You saw it against England as well in the semi-final. And we saw it again uh, yesterday. In that, I think actually, what's uh, the first, that, that he doesn't control the game as well. Sorry, I, uh, I lost you there. Oh. I one of the things that um, actually I just thought about as well was, is that um, there were definitely comments about um, whether you call them late or um, or, uh, or 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 not. Um, but there was st- he was definitely taking hits after the ball after he passed the ball, and the, the players who were targeting him not in, in a legal manner, i.e., the, the man who was supposed to tackle him, um, got the shot in. Um, uh, and wasn't called up by the ref, so hence it was legal, and it was it was but it was uh, they were they would they would commit to their tackle as quickly as possible because they knew that if they get those hits in and put that pressure against mm. him, perhaps he wouldn't. Um, that that that, that mm. probably also played a part of it. But the the the, the Wallabies thought, okay, here's a guy we can target, and we're going yeah, to and they did sure. it um, as well. As, and as they as went well. they went after him not only on defence, they went after him and Aaron Smith on attack. And they clearly identified that there is a weakness close in to the set phase or to the ruck um, in that link area between Aaron Smith and Richie Moanga. So you saw this is why so much of the play was off nine. So this is why you had Nick White drifting across and looking to draw and a number of times stepping off his foot and taking off because the gap would open because people would commit. So they had identified um, a weakness there when it comes to dominant tackling, both from Aaron Smith and Richie Moana. So he was targeted both um, to get some shots in um, when he was uh, receiving the ball and also to attack him and to penetrate. And then they made continual ground across the advantage line in that close-in area. Now, I, I want to give the, the, the youngster... Um, just a little bit of leeway in that maybe he doesn't play in that situation often. But one of the things that you need to do in that case is you need to be talking to your forwards and say, sort yourselves out. I want to see that ball shoveled back to me when you guys are under trouble. Sort your own problem out, right? Pick and pick and drive, uh, one-off runners, take it up, take it up, and then I will get you out of trouble. I will transfer pressure. But there is the other thing as well. His tactical kicking was poor. Right? So there was a, a lack of um, of taking control of the game on a number of levels from him. Um, yeah, so that's that was my one. That's my concern about Moang is that if the All Blacks are paying 95% of their matches, um, maybe 90% of the matches, because I don't think it's going to happen when they play the Springboks, where they have where they have more than parity in the forwards, Moanga is going to look great. But currently, when they come to crunch games where they're under pressure in the forwards, then there's trouble. I was about to say, yeah, guys, there was an interesting stat that I saw that the All Blacks in yesterday's game only actually had 38% possession. But more importantly, uh, Aaron Smith stuck up five box kicks for a, and they didn't retrieve 
any one of those five box box kicks. In fact, one of the kicks actually went far too far. There was no there was no chase at the time. And um, mm. to be fair to the Australians, they dealt with all those kicks. And I agree with you, John. The the All Black kicking game was very poor yesterday. You know, it's one of the things you, you're told. If you've got a very strong wind at your back, it's actually harder to run the ball because the tendency for your pass is to drift forward if you've got a very strong wind behind you. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to work the ball down the line, the, the, the wind is pushing the ball forward. Right? It's actually easier to run the ball because you, you're less likely to pass forward when you're running against the wind. And in that first... Half, we saw quite a few of those box kicks taking place in the first half with the wind. And the time to box kick is when you are against the wind so that it hangs up. And you saw um, Damien McKenzie battle a number of times that he'd line himself up and the wind would just push the ball away from him as he's trying to run in. So the Aussies were kicking a lot of box kicks into the wind. And most of those box kicks you're talking about, Steve, were happening in the first half from the All Blacks with the wind, it's not the right time. That's why the ball, ball keeps on going too far. But where you should be doing is you should be driving it into the corners because you've got the wind with you. And there's only so many, um, there's only so many places on the field that the fullback can cover. And what you should be doing as, a, as the first five, you should be driving into the corners, especially when you've got, like the All Blacks did, the opposition uh, line-out is under pressure. Put it in the corners and compete on the throne. John, to me, it also highlights where the Australians had Tamoy at second five. We know that he's got a, a very good kicking game. We know that Banks at yep. back has got a very good uh, kicking game. But you look at the you look at the midfield. You had Jack Goodhue playing out of position, who's normally a centre. Jack can kick, but we also know that uh, Rico Yoani doesn't kick does doesn't kick at all. No. And unfortunately no. for for Rico. He was horribly exposed, especially when the uh, Australian scored the. I think Corabiti scored in the quarter. You know, just it, it's really quite simplistic, really, in its uh, in its activation. But boy, they dragged Rico Yuani right in and and caught him out quite brilliantly. So once again, uh, a tick in the box to Dave Rennie, along with that other little tick in the box was using. I thought Taniela Tupo as the first receiver. We know he's a yes. big strong. Big strong boys, and the South African boys will do exactly the same. They will use their exactly big the their big their big runners in exactly yes. the same way. And okay, you can meet these guys on the advantage line, but you need at least three tacklers to put them down. And if the ball is quick enough, that's where your halfback, that's where that's where a Nick White or a Fafta uh, yeah. will will come into play. They so, I mean you can meet them. I guess the question is, are we going to be meeting them in Sydney or not? Yep. Um, because one of the things that uh, one of the things with that uh, that has been we've been hearing about for the past probably month now is that South Africa hasn't committed to the rugby championship yet. Um, yeah. And rumours today are that uh, Razi Erasmus is going to announce um, before the end of this week um, that they will not be coming to the rugby championship, and he's going to he's going to cite player welfare. Now, um, is that really? Is it really play welfare, or is it that uh, he's going to? He knows his team's going to be undercooked, and actually, that uh, they're not going to be competitive because of that. The players wouldn't get hurt, but um, they would get a. Uh, they, they would be at a disadvantage um, tactically, uh, uh, mm. just not being conditioned as well. So, is is it mm. a 
is it actually play welfare or is it just a we don't want to take losses when uh, we we don't think it's a fair a level playing field? Well, I think you know South Africa has this history of wasting the opportunity of being World Cup champions. So they did the they they wasted it in '96. They wasted it in 2008 of not making full commercial use of the position that they had as number one team in the world. Uh, and I think what they've realized is that if they perform poorly, they lose that marketing advantage that they have. So there might be a short-term gain so far as the TV revenue, but a long-term loss if they don't perform well. Now, I after that game last night, I thought to myself, the Springbok uh, coaching triumvirate there, which is the new coach, Ninaba, and Rossi Erasmus as, as uh, director of rugby for South Africa, that they would be, especially in the forwards, really confident about being able to handle both of those packs. However, a big part of the problem that South Africa faces is they've got a number of their locks that are injured and out. And both forward coaches for Australia and for the All Blacks um, should be thanking their lucky stars that so many of the engine room of that box pack is injured. Um, and, and as a result, it might be that they're looking at it and they're thinking that the hit that they would take in their reputation as the number one team in the world is not worth sending an undercooked team. There was even talk about sending a team of youngsters to play and resting players like Colisi or whatever. Um, so, yeah, there could well be a commercial decision that they're basing it on to lose money in the um, short term in order to, pr to put out a team the following year especially if they're getting some sort of guarantee that they're going to be invited to a Northern Hemisphere type com uh, competition. But say they, they've got some sort of uh, um, confirmation that that will take place, then maybe that's what they're basing their decision on. Uh, one thing that isn't going to be an issue for him is um, world rankings as far as the Rugby World Cup draw goes, because uh, World Rugby has said that actually they are going to um, take the world rankings from the beginning of the year for the seedings in the draw. Um, so uh, if they were to lose places because um, the, yes. uh, what's we're looking for, um, because of losing games, then they yes. wouldn't have, that That wouldn't be an issue. So uh, that's, um, that's that, at least that, 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 that has been taken away as a reason for, for different countries to think, to, to, to consider not playing games. Um, just if I can reply to Aaron's question, yes, no question, the loss of Brody Retallick is a massive loss to the All Black Pack, and you could see that uh, yesterday. But South Africa has uh, one, two, three, four, five locks. If you count Peter Steff to Toy, South Africa has five locks, all of which would play for New Zealand. They All of which would go to... Um, would go to a World Cup in the squad. I'm not saying they would start, but all five, including Peter Steph de Toy, is World Rugby Player of the Year and is playing at blindside. All five of them would be in the New Zealand squad. And yes, I know Barrett is injured, but I'm not sure that Barrett would make, would beat out in a South African team, those five players. So when you lose one, two, three of the five are, are injured, it's, it, it's not just about the player himself. It's about the depth that it gives you. 
It's about the fact that you can bring on a, a, a player that will walk into any squad in the world at 30 minutes. And then you still have one that's left, didn't make the match day squad in case he got injuries. So, yeah. Anyway, and, that's just an John, answer to Aaron's question. And yep. John, just, and just, and just having that physicality as, as well, you, you just wonder with yes. the, the likes of, of Whitelock and, and, and the twilight of his career, quite frankly, Patrick Tuipuloto was a, okay, he was a line-out option, but he was a little bit uh, uh, quiet in my opinion. But if you look at from the Australian point of view, those two locks, Matt Phillip and, um, and also Salakai Loto, I actually thought they were really outstanding in terms of the physical, Salakai Loto especially, in terms of the physicality mm. that he brought to the Australian mm. pack. I, I thought there were a couple of times he absolutely manhandled a couple of... Mm. Uh, a couple of the um, All Black forwards, and he's a very, very big guy. And I think something mm. the All Blacks have gone away from is a lot of they play this exciting. We brought this up a little bit earlier. They play this exciting brand of rugby and Super Rugby. Yeah, they and do. We can't, we, when we kind of look at the Australian rugby, where it can be a bit of a grind sometimes, and sometimes we were critical of the, of the way the English Premiership is playing. You look at their rugby and think, oh, they're a bit of a grind. They don't play with any flair. But I asked this mm. question to to Paul before. What is actually closer to Test Match Rugby? The way Super Rugby is played in New Zealand or the way Super Rugby is played in Australia or England or maybe even South Africa? Hmm. Um, yeah, you, you're 100% right. I mean, the, the South Africans um, of all the teams in the world are the most physical, both historically and in recent past. So... Um, that's something that they pride themselves on and you can see it in their history and it's evidenced in things like the fact that John Alomu never scored a try against them because that kind of play feeds into the psyche of South African players. Like, you know, whereas the England players are diving for, for and the French players uh, and sometimes Australians as well are like, uh, I'm sure you can have, uh, you can tackle Lomu. The, the South Africans were lining up. No, I'll have him, I'll have him, I'll have him. Uh, doesn't reduce his greatness in any way, uh, but it's it's a mentality thing. And what's happened over the last while, and you've seen the expression of it in the in the transition from say Bismarck to Plessis, who's an incredible physical specimen, through to the current two starting well the two that vie for starting position, which is Bongi and Bonambi, who started and. Uh, uh, Marx, um, help me, Paul. First name, Malcolm Marx. Yes. Um, the two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the two that are, that are, um, it's not Richard Marx, he doesn't sing. Um, and uh, the two of them, um, who are amazing phys physical specimens, don't try all the time to run over people, they are stepping in more in the New Zealand frame and running at shoulder, not running at shoulders but running at arms, changing the points of, of impact, something that Kevin Mialama was so brilliant at doing. So they're starting to adapt from straight trying to run over people to, um, to realizing that at the highest level, you're going to be matched sometimes in sheer size and strength. And if you want to make impact, you've got to change your angles and you've got to attack arms rather than shoulders. Now, the reason why... Um, it becomes so relevant in in this discussion is the South Africans not only have a very, or at least in the pack that they had last year, not only have very good starting 
uh, eight. They had their bomb squad, which was the complete tight five that they brought on, which were also outstanding players. And yet, and then they still had some players who didn't make it um, on into the match day squad in the pack, and some who were injured. So there's this multi-tier of very physical, very large, uh, and and uh, players that are moving towards that kind of rugby of not just trying to run people over. Um, yeah. So yeah. And Nocturnal Rights was saying here in on the comment session, surely there's a legal obligation to play if others can play. But the problem here is this is not the the normal Sanzar tournament. This is not what they signed on to play every year. This is a standalone tournament that they try to set up. So they're not obligated to play in this tournament. They agree to play in this tournament because the normal tournament would have been played August, September and be finishing now. And but they also, were touring at the end of the month. Yeah, tests as well and all sorts of other things in there. Yeah, yeah. I, you're right. The legal, there, there, there isn't a legal obligation to play these games. That's, that's in the same yeah. way. It's not a home and away thing. Um, Aaron says, uh, look, it's unprecedented times. It's about getting out there and playing um, just... Uh, not about financial lines is not what being sold. Um, yes, to a certain degree, but also you've got one of the other thing is also here that I think we've not actually sort of touched on is um, we've seen a resurgence in New Zealand in Super Rugby Aotearoa and also in the uh, and also the level of interest in the first two rounds of the Minor Ten Cup when the All Blacks were there. What's yeah. um, what uh, has been happening for many years in South Africa is a similar thing to what's been happening here in the Minor Ten Cup with their Curry Cup, where there's this there's talk of oh our traditional um, competition uh, is devalued by not having the spring box in it. They have an opportunity yeah. here this year to play the spring box in that competition. Yeah. Um, that competition started this weekend or last weekend. I, must admit, I didn't see any of the games in that one. So there may also be an element of we want to, we've seen how well Super Rugby Aotearoa, Super Rugby AU has, uh, has gone in those countries. We want to have, to have the same thing happened here with a return to traditional kind of internal um uh derby games um and we want to see that grow and we want to see if we can if if, if that'll mm. take off so there might also be an element of uh of that in there mm. as as well um and that it's about it's unprecedented times here's our opportunity to give mm. the curry cup a shot in the arm Will, will 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 that make it sort of sustainable in itself kind of thing? Look, I, it's certainly the Curry Cup has been devalued over the years by Super Rugby. And the Curry Cup was a much bigger deal than the Mighty Ten Cup, the NPC, the, even the Ranfurly Shield. And that's Ooh. not because the rugby was better, but it was during, it was the only rugby available for 20-odd years or whatever it was of isolation. So it became a massive, massive thing within South Africa. And it's nothing like that because Super Rugby is one level higher than that. But I suspect that part of if – this, if they do pull out, and I really hope they don't, I really, really hope they don't pull out. And I would like to see South Africa take the attitude that um, both New Zealand and Australia need – South Africa to be in that tournament. They need the cash flow. They need the TV rights. They need what South Africa will bring. And I, I would hope that they that they participate because of that. But unfortunately, 
what New Zealand has done in the last um, eight months or so is very much show South Africa that if the push comes to the shove, um, New Zealand is not going to do the same for them. And the level of arrogance sometimes that I've seen expressed from New Zealand rugby towards not only Australia, but very much towards South Africa is quite breathtaking. And South Africa, I believe, feel very much on an island at the moment because they were sold down the river for the World Cup bid that went to France when they had the rated the best bid. And so they, they saw very clearly there that the Northern Hemisphere will line up together. And their one sense was that at least the Southern Hemisphere teams in Sanzar, that they would stand together. What New Zealand showed in their very much portrayed this reluctance to make a plan to try and include South Africa in Super Rugby next year was very much you're on your own, right? Sort yourself out. We're going to make a plan for Australia. There were many ways that you could skin this cat. You could have players come out and be in isolation, all sorts of things. And I think what South Africa is looking at now is going, well, actually, if we don't look after ourselves here, um, this kind of sense of brotherhood that that is in rugby and has been around, especially in the, in the uh, amateur years where we're in this together and it's for the good of the game, seems to have leached out into the sea of... Uh, you know, one it's all for one and uh, and one for nobody else but one, you know. Um, yeah, and Aaron's putting that, um, what about uh, your obligations to Sanzar as we are being told through the media here in New Zealand? I think partly there, you've got the media in there here in New Zealand playing um, very much to uh, uh, New Zealand rugby's um, tune in that one. Because let's be honest, New yeah. Zealand rugby with um, has... Um, uh, has uh, has when, when they turned around to Australia to the Australian franchises um, and said, "Hey, um, we uh, uh, please please make offers of interest to enter our, our competition." Um, yeah, the um, they didn't help themselves there. Um, no, I mean South Africa. Um, w whether South Africa, whether off behind the scenes when New Zealand went about um, organising or considering next year, whether South Africa had already made indications behind the scenes so they, they were going they were going on wanting to go to europe it's been talked about for, for several years now we don't know what was going on and how much was or wasn't known um between those uh b between the different um uh unions as to what mm. um because let's be honest south africa um have um uh south africa have um um uh, what's the word I'm looking for um have voted to take their four teams to go to, to pro 16 um in it's terrible uh, news it's terrible terrible let me tell you it's terrible terrible news um for i believe for south african rugby as well as new zealand rugby and you're going to see the consequence of this play out over the next five years and i'm very sad to see this happen it's all very well for new zealand to say oh south africa has been talking about it for years and years well that's that's fine but when you say we're going to run Super Rugby next year and South Africa will not be allowed in, how did you expect them to survive? I mean, how did you expect them to pay their players? They had to go somewhere. Did you expect them to just run a little tournament within themselves while you do it? We don't know how early or how, how long it's been 
going on behind the scenes. Um, and, and it's been, as I say, it's been talked about for um, for many years. But anyway, um, the um, by the way, there was a comment from Simon about a report being biased. I don't know what report Simon was referring to. Do you guys know? No, I don't. But I mean, as Jordan says, it look paint the full picture. South Africa started spreading rumours of north before all the Sanzar drama. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Sanzar, I say, as I say, they've been talking about doing it for um, several years. Um, uh, and 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 and, um, uh, and going on to it as well. Uh, uh, and so, look, it's. Um, what were you going to say? What were you going to say, Steve? I was just sort of wondering, as a as a competition, if it had run its course anyway. Because all I was seeing was very, very poor crowds. In fact, the audiences were the audience, not just the the figures of people turning up to these games was down, but also the viewing audiences were down as well. I know for I know for for Super Rugby Aotearoa that it seemed to rejuvenate rugby here in in New Zealand, and I think that's pretty much where the I think the New Zealand Rugby Union might have got it in their head at the time. Nobody else was playing rugby. In, in in the world and they probably thought gee we got a we got a really good product here we can make all the rules so there was probably a tinge of of the arrogance on on their part but you know countries countries will eventually come out of covid and i tend to agree with you john somewhere along the line it, it might come back and 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 mm. bite them bite them on the backside at some stage and I, when I said bite we'll see the consequence i don't just mean here in new zealand i don't think that it's good for South African rugby, I think South African rugby has benefited hugely from playing regularly against New Zealand teams and Australian teams at multiple levels and seeing the different ways that rugby is played in different styles. I think it's been very advantageous to South African rugby. So mm. it's not just simply about New Zealand. But I remember Dan, Dan Carter saying um, in an interview in his last match, sorry, it's my housemate, in his last match against the Springboks in South Africa, when he spoke about how special it was to go and play in South Africa, especially play on the high field, and the value that young New Zealand rugby players got from traveling regularly to South Africa to play super rugby games and being accustomed to what it's like to play in the very large stadiums on the high field, what the rugby culture is like, what the country is like, and how it prepared them to go play as an all-black in South Africa. And that's gone. Likewise, for South African teams traveling to New Zealand, it was hard enough. I mean, South Africa was averaging a win every 10 years, maybe, against New Zealand in New Zealand. Um, it was hard enough when they were traveling regularly as younger players and, and new players in Super Rugby. It's going to be even tougher now with no exposure to traveling to New Zealand. Um, so just uh, comments, uh, so I want to answer, reply to Aaron's comment. Um, New Zealand media, definitely not on the side of New Zealand rugby. Um, yeah, perhaps I was, was wrong there, but I think they are playing to a New Zealand audience um, yeah, oh, yeah. For, in, their, sure. in, their, in their comments. Um, the, if, and um, as to the comment, I, don't, I just saw it. I didn't catch it in time about me loving uh, Northern Hemisphere rugby. Can you confirm that, Paul, how much I love um, as, as, European as, rugby? As, as he says, you love it when you need to go to sleep. So, um, yes, perfect for you. Um, sorry, sorry, we're so, talking about the yeah. six nations. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, 
But yeah, as Aaron says, look, there, 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 there has been mutual respect between New Zealand and South Africa for, for a long time, um, more than any other country, and it's uh, it's a shame that might be that that might disappear. It's um, yeah, it's been it's 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 a it's it's a great rivalry um, that's been been around mm. for a long time. Um, look, guys, we we're we're over the hour mark. We have got a couple of other things I wanted, to, or one other thing I wanted to definitely talk about here. Um, and Stephen uh, um, kind of touched on it. There was around um, how uh, crowd numbers. Um, and how the the tournament had um, seen its course and uh, and, and crowd numbers have, have, were down. Um, we saw uh, this weekend um, that um, we had crowd numbers uh, that they didn't sell out um, the uh, the cake tin in Wellington um, for uh, the Bledisloe Cup game. Now, incredible. Ashwin suggested last night there was there's been some creative accountancy um, in the past um, to make. Um, uh, to make that happen, um, and maybe that is true. But it was it was obvious um, this weekend that there were mm. gaps in the crowds. Also, mm. um, the there was um, uh, I was at uh, the Waikato game. They only had sixteen hundred people in the ground for that on Saturday night. That's what they had last year. Paul. They, they weren't they weren't getting crowds last year. I can remember being at a championship semi final. In fact, they actually commentated it two years ago. And there was less than a thousand people at Waikato Stadium. They didn't get crowds anyway. Um, last year they did. They didn't. Actually, last year they didn't open the um, second stand. Um, this year, this year they, they opened it with 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 hope of making of getting six thousand yeah. on the night. They didn't yeah, get I, that. Um, I, I, there are I, other I, grounds as well that haven't had good um, good ones I, um, as well. I've got, I've got a theory on why that test in Wellington didn't sell. Like, usually, you get a lot of people travelling out of Auckland. Now, Auckland only just came out of lockdown just last mm. week. So people didn't want know what was happening. It would be a risk to book a ticket. I know that there's a lot of people that actually go down to Wellington and, and will book a ticket. So listen, it was about 5,000 short. It was still still a reasonably good crowd. And the ones that probably didn't go would, would probably regret not being there because it turned out to be quite a, a fantastic uh, finish anyway, guys. So as for my 10 cup crowds, I just wonder if it's a case of the New Zealand economy now starting to to bite it. At, at some stage, we had we pretty much had the government government handouts come to, come to an end in the winter that first of October, I, th I think it was. So I just think everything's mm. just starting to bite at the minute. I mean, we're getting down to five, uh, ten, ten bucks a ticket. So I, I personally, I don't think um, uh, the White House. I don't think that's. I think I think cost um, can be. Uh, they can't get any cheaper without giving them away. Um, uh, Aaron says one of the comments he made earlier, though, was that um, is it the All Blacks um, have ingrained um, uh, a, a play in a system um, with the old boys network refusal to try something new like or someone new like Razor Robinson? Is there also an element of within the Maritime Cup provinces and also New Zealand rugby of it just being um, this is how we try things? It'll be okay if we win. Do they need to? Do they actually need to think out? think differently than they have been for the last 10 years is it just a is it kind of we'll keep trying it and funnily enough you keep getting the same result Paul, Paul, um, Paul, can, I, Paul can I answer that one I, I think half the issue with New Zealand rugby is a lot of the New Zealand teams are cloned by the all black coaches and there's a particular style that they want the super rugby teams to play at the end of the day and they all end up playing the same same sort of rugby and that's mm. that's what I can see. I don't I don't think the coaches are given a a free license to play a, 
a collective collective style. I mean to say, one thing I did enjoy about a little bit about Super Super Rugby Aotearoa, there was a little bit more forward play. To see teams actually using a using actually a forward drive to pull players in, you know, to to mm. my way of thinking, was was a smart rugby. You, you've got to. Oh, Mark Watson always used to have a saying: you've you've got to do the work up front before you can go. At, you've got to earn the right to go wide, and that's. Mm. At the, that's what the, at the end of the day what good teams did and I thought Australia did it really really well you know the biggest mistake that New Zealand rugby could have made at this very very point in time is probably letting somebody like Dave Rennie go oh you think <laughs> oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I know can I before we go Paul can I ask Steve a couple of questions just a couple of response questions before we before you do before that before you do that let me just point something that simon's put in there um great to hear that um that there's an international rugby tournament happening um on the 17th of october in uruguay between uruguay chile brazil and argentina's b team so fantastic to see uh international rugby returning to the um uh i've gone blank tier two nations um in south america um as well there okay okay so i'm going to just ask you a couple of Quick, quick questions to Steve. I, I just want to say this. I have read nothing about the game. I haven't read um, evaluations. I haven't read uh, ratings. I haven't read match reports. So it's a purely for me. Um, Steve, what did you think of the uh, new Australian number eight? Um, that's um, Sam, Pete Samu. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. he was pretty good, um, but I think I think you're probably talking about Harry Harry Wilson, the blindside flanker. Who, no, um, but I, I'm talking specifically that number eight. I know there's a lot of good stuff said about that youngster, Harry Wilson. He's got great potential. Oh, but I was Pete, very impressed by the number eight. Oh, oh Pete, Pete Samu is a is a is a dynamic number eight. He um, originally played originally played for Tasman in the uh, team Cup. Another one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Another one. He's a really good footballer, but hey, the Australians, mm. like like I say, you know, credit. We all know what a good selector Dave Rennie is. And, yep. Through, uh, so Tasman yeah. Crusaders over the Brumbies into the Wallabies. He's a good footballer. He's a real. Yeah. He's a very good player. Um, this is rhetorical. Don't answer this. I used to when he was still at school, and I was still living in South Africa. I watched clips of uh, Taniela Topu. Am I saying it right? Yep, the Tongan Saw. Yep. I watched him in, in in high school. I cannot believe that Auckland rugby and New Zealand they let tried. him slip away. They, they tried. Oh, no, no, no. We, let's they not go tried. down the route of Auckland rugby. But anyway, it's rhetorical. No, it's rhetorical. No, no, let it go. No, no, no. Let it go. Let, let it go. Me, Next let question. Me, let, me, yeah. let me answer that. They, they actually yeah. tried uh, both... Not so much New Zealand rugby, but Auckland and Blues rugby. He made he had he made it very very clear that he wanted to play yeah. for Australia from from a young age. Okay. So listen, oh, well. credit, okay. credit to him. He's a Pacific Island player who had his own yeah. mind and decided to make an early okay. decision on who he wanted to play Where for, as opposed to hanging around wanting to play for the All Blacks. Oh mate, he's he's going to be a sensational player by the time he's. He's yeah. he's going to be one of he the great will. players when he finishes his career. But boy, he will be he, one of, if not the greatest uh, Aussie prop in their history. So, the next question: the All Black 
lose forward balance. Something's not right there. And I, I didn't oh. have having the opportunity to rewind and relook and, and try and find out what the problem is. But that loose forward trio, that balance is not right there. Yeah. Um, um, who was who was Bat, uh, Boy Robin? A eh, was Batman's assistant. Um, Batman, I think you, Boy Robin is actually on the radio trying to get a hold of you at the moment because uh, Batman has said that uh, the Wallabies will win the Pledos low this year. You could actually be right, Batman. You never know, especially more so if they win at Eden Park on uh, on, on Saturday. Now, what was your question again, John? I got sidetracked by that. <laughs> the question before Robin distracted you. The balance of the all-black loose forward trio. Something's not right there. No, no, de de definitely not right. You know, the guy who's been criticised the most, Sam Kane, I thought was the best out of the loose forwards there. No, it's definitely sure. not right. And and it, it, to be honest, it hasn't been right since Jerome uh, Kainal and Richie McCaw and, and Kieran Reid were together. They just have not found that uh, that right balance. I, I See, I still think Artie Savia for all his leg drive and what have you is not a number is not another not a number eight. Well, here I have to differ with you because I've been maintaining for years that he's an eight and not a seven. So I would be flip-flopping of major proportions if I did that now. But what I did feel is, a, is an issue is that the all-black scrum was not exerting enough control because whenever, wherever, you know, whenever there was like a, a vague open side, you would see Hooper um, would be covering Savia. So you almost never saw him get outside the forward cover and run at, um, at O'Connor, right, with all of his pace. And it just didn't seem to be that that dominance to be able to take Hooper. They, they were switching him always to protect the open side, which he's supposed to do. But what I mean is he was always getting to Sevier. Sevier didn't cross the advantage line with his speed from the base of the scrum. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know if I explained yeah. this well. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and then the last one is, um, and again, I haven't read anything. George Bridge was horrendous. Um. And I'm not a big fan of uh, Sebu Reese at the very highest level. I think he's really, really good. At um, He's outstanding at super rugby level, especially with a dominant pack. But uh, I have questions about him um, at the very, very highest level, uh, not just normal international level, but the very highest international level. But Caleb Clark, my gosh, he, he is for real. Yeah, got it. Got a, got, a, got a lot of power. And listen, in, in, in a perfect world, my, my back three would be Caleb Clark. I would actually play Jordy Barrett as a fullback because he I still think it's a handy thing to have a fullback that possesses a, a really, really big boot that he's got. We know he's really good under the high ball. But I'd also have somebody like Will Jordan, who I think is is really multi-talented and, and got really, really top end and pace. Once again, very good under the high ball. He's very good under a high kick chase ball. As, as well, and of course, Caleb Clark, Clark, they would be my back three, and Bowden Barrett would be my first five. And you know what? Just stick with those guys. But you, okay, if you can't have Bowden Barrett on Saturday, if he's still in. If I can't have Bowden Barrett, I would, I, I would have, I would have Geordie at fullback. No, I, I'm I saying if you can't have Bowden Barrett to play at first five, you play Geordie and you continue with. Moanga at ten. Yeah, I think you've, I think you've got no. I think you've really got no choice. I think you, 
I think you continue with uh, with Moringer at 10, but I'd like to see Geordie as a fullback. And that's no disrespect to, to, Dayton, for, to DMAC. We know how devastating he can be, but I, yeah, there's just something flaky about DMAC sometimes. Every time he's running in to take a high kick, you kind of just cringe, guys, because he, he, he's not a tall man. He's a good little man, but I'd rather a big, big tall man at the back. I mean, so I was really impressed with Tom Banks for the Wallabies as well. He handled all the high kicks that, that were thrown at him. And yeah. whether we like it or not, rugby still at times is a high kick pressure game. Mm. Um, yeah, three Pete reckons Geordie Barrett would have knocked Corabetti into touch. Maybe. Well, who knows? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll never know whether he got over in time. But um, uh, the I will say, yeah, Geordie Barrett is much more solid uh, presence. Um, he does make mistakes or, ha or has been known to make mistakes. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, he's much more solid presence um, at uh, the um, uh, the back there. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be um, definitely a fascinating um, selection for the um, Bledders, for the, for the by the All Blacks for the Bledisloe Cup this coming weekend. Um, you know what? I will try and put together some sort of video after when that comes out. But unfortunately, I'm working every day this week and also Saturday as well on the election, folks. So unfortunately, I can't um, uh, I can't promise anything. But we will try to get a video out. Um, about that when it um, when it uh, comes on. Um, so to all but, the listeners, if your if your party doesn't get in in the elections, blame Paul. They, <laughs> thank you. I'm working uh, running a voting place. I'm just I am I am uh, politically neutral um, at the moment. Um, so yes, I was I was scared where John was going to go with that one um, and <laughs> with, with my the current restrictions I'm under. Um, but um, uh, the uh, Aaron brings up a really good, uh, uh, as, as a really good article by Buck Shelford, where he talks about the fact that number eights aren't just um, sick converted sixes or sevens, uh, and that they are the brains at the back of the scrum, and that there is uh, it's a skill in itself. I've put a link to yeah. that article um, in the YouTube, uh, Facebook, and um, uh, Patreon, or, or sorry, no, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter comments. So go check that out. Really good article. Um, on the New Zealand Herald, and I'll be honest, I very rarely say that. Um, <laughs> um, okay, just that just a just a quick help. comment. It's easy to forget that prior to COVID coming in, um, there was talk that uh, Adi Sevilla was the the most outstanding rugby player in the Southern Hemisphere, right? In Super Rugby, prior to everything being shut down, and where was he playing? At eight, right? Point. So, don't, yeah. So, he was absolutely outstanding at eight. So, the fact that the loose forward trio is not working as a unit, it's not the balance is somehow not right. And again, I can't tell you technically, I didn't have the opportunity to look deeply enough with all the stuff that was going on to see what wasn't working there. Um, but the balance is not right. And that's what's putting him at a, at a disadvantage. He certainly wasn't playing behind a, a dominant pack all the time when he was performing at that incredible level for the Hurricanes in the early part of the year. So we've also remember that you should just throw he, in the towel on Soviet eight. Sure, sure, but but remember, this is his first season playing full time at eight, right? He's been he's, yeah. he's always played seven with occasional eight stuff. He's still got eight. Play, he's still got he's still got stuff to learn about in that eight jersey, um, for sure. We'll have, we'll, have um, to get Dave, we'll have to get David Moffat back on the show again, uh, Paul. 
What to talk about? Um, Ali Sabera, number eight. Oh, no, just for you, well, Bitmin suggesting that you should run oh. him as the uh, <laughs> in, for New Zealand rugby in 2023. So you'd probably need to get some tips. I probably need to make sure I get my uh, get get uh, get some um, uh, become a uh, New Zealand national first to be allowed uh, into that kind of role. I'm sure there's there's some restrictions on Englishmen being the chairman of uh, of New Zealand rugby. I think, but we'll see. Well, Paul, um, all I can say about. is having had very close-up interaction with the senior leadership of New Zealand Rugby and had panel discussion with them, you are not nearly arrogant enough to be the chairman <laughs> of New Zealand Rugby. There we you go. Oh, brilliant. You, you will never match that KPI. Never. <laughs> One of the KPIs, you have to be arrogant. <laughs> like that. There we go. Um, I experience oh, arrogance. When I say breathtaking arrogance, I mean like that level of arrogance. So, yeah, that's not Paul, that's for sure. So, you yeah, go, best person for the job, Paul. Thank you very much, Aaron. Yes, let's go. Let's start the campaign. Um, the um, John, thank you very much for jumping out at last notice. Uh, very great to have you back on the show. Um, after a, um, a long time between drinks. Uh, thank you very much, Stephen, for joining me yet again. Folks, from next week, Swinging from the Hip will be our Monday evening show. Um, uh, and I will um, uh, we'll be moving the Driving More show to another evening of the week. I haven't quite figured out yet which evening it will be. So um, I'm looking, I'm going to um, surprise you all, folks, with that next week. Um, yes, thank you, John. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, if you want to support the channel, don't forget patreon.com forward slash nz sports radio uh, is how you can become a supporter of the channel thank you very much everybody um hello, hello. paul is too nice for the role oh um the um so, i agree uh, hope you've all had a great start to the week it's monday join us at 7 a.m tomorrow morning for the morning sports briefing Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tools for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.